Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had so far and may it continue as we have opportunity to study God's Word together. And let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word. You can turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, and uh, that is where we are this morning as we continue our uh, study in 2 Corinthians. We have not been going for very long. We are still in the middle of chapter 1, and uh, you can go ahead and, and turn with me in your Bible there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14 here this morning. And as you're turning there in your Bible and uh, getting uh, settled there, it's interesting even in talking about this because we can use the word boasting, which is really what we're going to be talking about here today, about boasting in the grace of God, really. But we, we have all manner of reasons to boast, or at least we think we do, whenever we are around one another. Uh, it is football season after all, and so it's natural for that to come up uh, inevitably. But in, in so many other ways, boasting comes out, we could be talking about, you know, where you're from, maybe you boast in your hometown, maybe you boast in, you know, your career, maybe you boast in your family, maybe you boast in, you know, your, your bride or your children or your grandchildren, or maybe you can even think about what was the, the last circumstance where you said, hey, let me show you a picture from my phone, and you pulled it out because you just wanted to brag about something and something that's going on in your life. Because the reality is we will boast in what we see value in. We will brag about it. And it, it comes naturally. It comes easily. It just come, Once we see value in it, we see no issue whatsoever in bragging about it, boasting about it. How much more so should that be the case in the grace of God in Jesus Christ? and seeing what He has done in us, and seeing what He has done in others, and in seeing the broad effects in the lives lived by grace. Let us read together now as we turn our attention towards God's Word and see what reason we have to boast in the grace of God together here today. Read with me if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, says this, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supreme, supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read, read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit and for your glory, you would grab our attention. And that in so doing, Father, as we behold the grandeur of your grace, that you would stir in our hearts a deep affection for you. And Father, that we would come away from this passage of Scripture, loving you because you first loved us and boasting in the reach and the wonder of the goodness of your grace. Father, teach us, lead us, guide us, and grow us for your great glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. 
that we find ourselves within the context of 2 Corinthians here, it's always helpful. You know, you back up a little bit. You think about the, the wonderful declaration of the grace and peace uh, that is declared at the beginning of the letter and that compelling introduction that we looked at. And then we talked about, you know, the power of God at work and the, His grace at work in our weakness in the area of comfort and how He comforts us and gives us unshakable hope. And even last Sunday, we talked about relying upon the God who raises the dead and just the assurance that's found in laying all of our lives in him and watching and seeing what he does. And so it's right on the heels of talking about the God who raises the dead and in trusting him and in giving thanks then looking forward to the reasons to give thanks to him and what he is going to do. He goes on and he says in verse 12, our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. Our proud confidence, you might say, or even as it's often translated. That our boasting is in, not in self, but in God and what he has done. It's not mere self-serving boasting where the Apostle Paul and Timothy are running around and being like, don't you see how great we are? It's not look at me, it's look at him. Look at what our God has done. You can think of other places where this comes up within the The letters of Paul, you can think of Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Or you can even think of Paul boasting in Romans chapter 15, verse 17, in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, that it had nothing to do with Paul and his own name and building his own kingdom. It was all about what Christ was doing in and through him, that we boast in the cross and rejoice in the salvation that's found there and boast in the fact that God, who began a good work in us, will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That our whole lives are designed to boast in His grace. That we can boast in lives lived by grace. Or as he says it this way, our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. Now a lot of times when we use the word testimony, we, we recall, and rightly so, many times where we've heard people's testimonies. And the sort of spoken, verbal remembering of what took place in their conversion story and what happens. But it's interesting because the word that's being used here is not merely an indicator of words that are spoken. It's the same word from which we get martyr. It's a testimony both of word and of deed, a declaration of a life, and that even as we read this, we must pause ourselves and consider, what is your life declaring today? Are you boasting in the cross of Christ? Are you boasting in the fact that that's where your Savior died and where your salvation is provided, that it's a free gift of God so that no one may boast and that you rejoice and boast in Him? Are you confident in what your life says is most valuable? Because we can joke about all the things that we started off talking about that we can boast in. Do our lives testify to the fact that we boast in the most significant thing that's ever taken place? The grace of God freely given to all who repent and believe in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. We all like a good testimony. But the fact of the matter is is that life continues to bear witness. 
Life lived for the glory of Christ. Life lived alive in Christ will testify to his holiness of love at work in a marriage of holiness and patience and work in singleness where peace reigns and love lives. But it's not just in a thinking of a testimony. A lot of times we think, okay, we're just looking back then, but what are we saying right now? What is the testimony at this moment? He says, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. Now, in tracing down all manner of different definitions, here's a good definition I found as we can think of making understanding and making application of what is going on here when we make reference to conscience. Conscience in the sense of human action judged by the highest standard a person perceives. So you take the highest standard a person perceives and that you use that as a gauge and a judge upon which you judge everything in your life. And Paul is saying he is laying his life bare before God's word. Who is it that we are aiming to impress with our lives? Who is it that we are longing to govern our lives? And then as we look back and we do the analysis, We all like to do so. Sometimes we wish there wasn't instant replay, but there is. And we can look back in our own minds and remember things, and as we play these things back, and you can think of even the life of the Apostle Paul, he was not a perfect man. But he could look back at times where even in his failure there was repentance, and in repentance there was trusting that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that's an eternal truth. So that even when there's failure, there's hope and rest. But even when you do right, it's not so that you can say, hey, look at all this good that I'm doing. It's say, look at what the grace of God is doing in me. Boasting in lives lived by grace. But what is the testimony of your own conscience? Which may be another way for you to ask, what is the highest authority in your life? Because if you get that wrong, even your conscience is going to lead you astray. As we would walk around in our own lives, and you could look at your children or grandchildren or neighbors or friends or whoever it is that you're talking with the most these days, who would they say that your life is boasting in? Or even as we think about what this looks like, what does grace on display look like? He says, well, the testimony of our conscience is that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. That the grace of God, the source of our salvation, for we are saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. But we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So we're saved by grace, not of works, but then after the grace is poured into our lives, He's laid it out for us to go live. He's saying, here we are, we behaved in the world in a life full of grace so that grace is not only the source of our salvation, it is also the fuel for our life. Walking in sanctification. Being reminded that we were bought with a price, that we behaved in the world in all the ways in which that is displayed in your own life as pilgrims and exiles, as people who are living here away from the reality of our heavenly home and yet even still seeking the good of where God has placed us. He says, we behaved in the world with simplicity, 
Interestingly enough, you can trace down, you know, uh, there's some translation differences between some uh, texts here. Some translated simplicity, some translated holiness. I think within the context of where we are and the letter itself, and even you can get into all details of manuscript evidence, simplicity here seems to be the better route. And even as we think about it, it gets along the same basic idea. The set-apart, singular focus on the glory of God and what pleases Him. Not saying one thing and doing another. Not duplicitous in any way. That grace fuels the simplicity, and it's good. We like simple answers to questions. That's why it annoys us to no end when we enter into an election year. Because you're sitting there and you're like, you know, maybe it's a town hall environment or somebody raises their hand and has a question, goes up to a microphone, asks a very straightforward answer and gets the most winding mess of an answer and you're like, what am I even doing here? It's frustrating. We like simplicity. We want to know. Give me a yes or no answer. That's how we are with children, right? Don't give me the well, I think answer. Give me the yes or no version of that. Speak with simple clarity. He's saying here, there was nothing duplicitous about our ministry in your midst. As you think about the source of all wisdom, as you think about the purpose for all things, you think of, okay, well, well, what was it that took Paul the persecutor and transformed him into Paul the apostle? The grace of God in Jesus Christ. Not so that the Apostle Paul could run around and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. But he could run around and say, behold our God. Don't you remember? Don't you look at the testimony of my life? Look at how sufficient the grace of God actually is. And then as we look at our own lives and we think of our, you know, as we pray for salvation in somebody's life. And we say, Lord, pour out your grace upon them. Show them the severity of refusing your grace that they may know the wonder of rejoicing in your grace. But even as we look at our own lives and spiritual growth and everything else, we want that sort of simplicity. I don't need to have to go 20 different places to get what I want. Simplicity. Isn't that wonderful? But not just simplicity, he also says godly sincerity. That same word, we talked about it even during the Festival of Nations. It's the same word that you find in Philippians chapter 1 that talks about judging things by the light of the sun. What an interesting thought that is because we do this with all manner of things. Is it real? Right? We'll hold it up to the sun. And of course, along the line, and really throughout history, what, there's a story that sort of came out of this. A lot of times there was first century, you know, pottery, and it was meant to be made thin, and the thinner it was, the more fragile, and really the more beautiful it was supposed to be, and there was supposed to be some sort of transparency in it. And so you could look at something, and you could look at it in the shadow, and it would be, it would be all well and good, and it would look like it was worth something. But if you held it up to the sun, all, a lot of times unscrupulous salespeople would take wax and put it all together and just piece it all back together. And then once you judged it by the light of the sun, you would say, well, this isn't sincere at all. Which is, in fact, why some people will say, if you go back to the Latin word from which we get the word sincere, and you take the two words, sinicera, that's where you get without wax, is how you would translate that in Latin. That's where we get the word sincere. 
testing things by the light of the Son of God as he's describing it and making application of it here. Grace in the sense of not just a whole bunch of pieces thrown together and artificially put together, but new creation in Christ, godly sincerity, aiming in all things to honor God. And it's as though it's like he's describing his own life as a life that has stamped on it, made by the grace of God. Can you say that? Can you look at your life as it's being lived right now and say, made by the grace of God? See, as I look out here, I can see for many of you that is the case. And your life testifies to that and what reason for rejoicing that is. And yet at the same time, I can look out and see people who are just trying to do it all on your own. And you know it. And you need to trust in Him to do in you what you cannot do in yourself. The grace of God does this. He says this is the Our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. Not by the wisdom of the flesh. Not by the ideas that seem wise according to sinful man. Not playing to the tune of popular culture, whatever that may be, whether in Corinth or in Lilburn or anywhere else. Not just conventional wisdom, gauging everything by God in His Word, building your life around that. Not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, the sovereign, saving favor of God that blesses the undeserving with unmerited and unearned blessings. This is the substance of our boast. You can remember, if you can look back on a moment of your own conversion, you can remember when this all became clear to you. And we can remember our need. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can remember our due. That having sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we deserve justice. And would he pour that out, he would have every reason to do so. And then we can remember our inability because we can't undo what we've already done. We can't undo our own sin nature. We need help that's beyond our strength and beyond our ability. And then you remember his grace. You remember the fact that he in love sent his son to live a perfect life, to die our death, to rise from the dead, and that there's forgiveness and everlasting life in his name given as a free gift to all who repent and believe. The grace of God that saves is also the grace of God that sustains, that shapes all of life. So as you're looking around in your life, you're not saying, let me have all the things that I deserve. Look at all the things that God has given me. Look at all the things that God has given me. I don't know how to manage this. Ask the Father, the God of all grace, from whom we have, as we sang a moment ago, grace on top of grace. Where we need peace and we need rest and we need wisdom where we need comfort and hope and strength and endurance and patience, we need the grace of God. And he's saying, this is how our lives were lived in front of you, boasting in grace. 
Because the fact is, what we boast in, we're actually promoting. Aren't we? We're boasting in it, we're actively promoting it. You think of all of the endorsement deals that are out there. You think of all the sort of NIL deals that are out there, and people making money hand over fist, endorsing everything. You can see the billboards all over the place, everywhere. You can see everything from football coaches driving the same trucks to some weird mixture of football coaches and aquatic animals selling supplemental insurance. Even to the degree that you might not be able to sleep at night and you can find yourself watching Chuck Norris sell some obscure piece of exercise equipment on some infomercial and Find yourself thinking, well, if it's good enough for Walker, Texas Ranger, it's good enough for me. See, we pay attention when people boast, don't we? Do we realize that people are paying attention to us? The loudest boast in your house among your children is you, not your television. Not your internet connection. Not the football coach. It's you. As you think of where God has placed you in your own family or amongst your own friends, who are you boasting in? What of who are you boasting in? Are we boasting in the grace of God? Boasting in what He has done. Boasting in the salvation that He has provided. Boasting in the wonderful reality of how He has grown us in the wisdom and knowledge of Him. And notice how He says this. Not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And supremely so towards you. He says, if anyone saw this, it was you, Corinthian church. From the first time when the gospel was proclaimed to the year and a half that He spent there discipling them and teaching them all manner of things that God had revealed concerning Himself only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God is there wisdom to deal with conflict in the church or to hold one another accountable or to unravel the arrogance that was exercised in spiritual gifts or to remain united in Christ when everybody's trying to find a personality to identify with. What can stir this kind of accountability in mercy and humility and unity and resurrection hope? The same thing then is the same thing now, only the grace of God in Jesus Christ. See, a lot of times this is even reflected in how we pray, isn't it? God, give me the wisdom because I want to figure it out instead of God, just pour out your grace. God, display your glory. Let it be seen and known and evident that this was not us. We did not make this happen. Look at what our God has done. But that not only would we boast in lives lived by grace, but that we would boast in the broad effects of God's grace as well. He says, we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. He says, we're not writing anything other than, you know, what you read. He's using present tense, the, the whole sense. I mean, you, the idea is that knowing again, right? That you're drawing from what the author has written, and you're being reminded, and you're learning again. And it's this sort of in, 
intellectual capacity and learning that's going on here as you read, but also as you understand, and that is the application of the knowledge in real life. It's like the training that you go through, or, or you know, you, you go through all the details of a math class, and then you finally get to the test. Or maybe you go through all the stuff in the lab work, and you're learning all the details in your science class, and then you finally have to go do it. Or you get some sort of on-the-job training, and then finally they say, okay, go do it. You better hope you have some understanding. That it's not just intellectual knowledge, but it's knowledge made applicable and lived out in daily life. This is how we should think of God's grace. That we acknowledge it, and we understand it, and we have some conception of the wonder of it, and yet the full expectation that it will be worked out in our lives on a regular basis. He's saying, there were no mixed messages here. We're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. The grace bears forth consistent results. He says, and I hope you will fully understand the sort of confident expectation that there's room to grow and lots to learn. Isn't this like an encouraging teacher? Because some of us remember the teachers who looked at us and be like, you're never going to get this, right? Maybe, maybe they had a bad day, I don't know. But it looked at us and were like, it's just not going to happen. But we also remember the times when we had that wonderful teacher who came up behind us, put their hand on our back, leaned down, was like, keep at it, you'll get it, you'll get there, you'll get it. There's more to learn, and there's more to understand, and there's more to apply, but you'll get there. This is how the Apostle Paul is with the Corinthian church. Not saying, I hope, as this sort of vague wish. He's confidently expectant that you will fully understand. And just as for them in the Corinthian church, in the the depth of all of what they needed to learn and know, that's still the case for us as well. But we can boast in the broad effects of God's grace, even as we find ourselves looking forward to the things that we have not yet fully understood. He says, just as you did partially understand us. He says, we've come so far, and it's not the end. And as you think about, okay, well, as we read verse 14, just as you did partially understand us, what could he possibly be referring to? Well, at the very least, he'd be referring to the year and a half that he spent with them, teaching them. But even more, what do we have before 2 Corinthians? Softball, right? 1 Corinthians, yes. You think of all of what was laid out in 1 Corinthians. At the very least, there's more to understand. The power of the gospel, the unity that's found in Christ, the wisdom and the power of God, shaming the wisdom of the wise of this world, of the reality of genuine faith and the way to address sin, whether it's sexual or discord or ever confident in the power of God's grace to redeem and transform lives. There's singleness and marriage to the glory of God. There's how not to lead others to stumble, how to have orderly worship, how to properly deal with spiritual gifts, how to walk in love, how to even celebrate the Lord's Supper, and really how to fully understand and apply the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all of the glory of what that means. There is a lot to learn and a lot to understand, isn't there? There's a lot of room for growth, and that's not a bad thing. 
He's saying, just because you're not there yet doesn't mean there's not reason to boast. Look at how far you have come. Look at where grace has brought you, and look at what it's going to do, because He is the God, as we have already said, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Boast in the broad effects of the gospel. Lean into His grace all the more, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. That singular day of his return where he gathers his people for his glory and we live looking forward to that. We tie our hope to that. We straighten up our shoulders and lift our, lift our heads for our redemption is drawing near and we rejoice in it. Live looking forward. We do this anyway, don't we? We live looking forward to the things that we're going to boast about. Because 60 days from now, from today, is Thanksgiving. We're going to be boasting on that day, aren't we? Look at that bird. Look at that dressing. Look at that pie. Look at all the ways in which I'm going to wreck a diet that I've been on this whole year in one hour. And I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. We're already boasting in it now, aren't we? We can see it in our, in our heads, and we are looking forward to it because we know when that day comes, man, it's going to be delicious. 92 days from now is Christmas. Now, don't go shopping on Amazon just yet. You can wait 20 minutes. 92 days from now. What are we going to do? Look at this. Look at what. Look at all the decor, right? All the you know word art or whatever, and the garland and the ornaments and everything else, and the lights. And maybe you're going to have a you know a Santa that's forty feet tall on top of your house, so that you can look at your neighbors and be like, "What's up now?" Right? We live looking forward, looking forward to what we're going to boast in. Boasting now of what we will boast of then. Think about this as it relates to the return of Christ. His grace, His salvation, His power, His hope, His life, His joy, His love, His comfort, His grace is what unites us in Him. And as He says it, on that day, you will boast of us. One of the things that they will give glory to Jesus for in heaven is that look at what you did with the Apostle Paul. Look at how you took the persecutor of the church, transformed his life, and look at what you did through him. Look at how the gospel was preached in all these unknown, furthest reaches and in the impossible places. Look at how you sustained him through all of the litany of hardship that he walked through, ever rejoicing in your grace at work in him. They'll boast of Timothy. The boy who grew up with a godly mother and an unbelieving dad and a godly grandmother. And as they sowed the seed of the truth in his life, bore much fruit. And God used him in phenomenal ways. Grace strengthened and grace empowered. Grace at work in and through and all the teaching and all the applying and all the clarity and all the reconciliation and all the reconciliation. It's like, God, look at that. Look at that. We boast of your grace at work in them. 
You will boast of us. And even if you say that out loud, you say, okay, well, I will boast of them. And you start to wonder right now, well, what will I say? Right? I mean, we could sit around in here and look at brothers and sisters in Christ and look at one another and be like, we're going to boast of one another in heaven one day. And then you start to think, well, what am I going to say? And I wonder if the Spirit of God brings something to mind, and you've got somebody specifically in here that you would boast of. Can you imagine how encouraging it would be if you told them today? You said, on the day of the Lord Jesus, this is what I'm going to say about you. This is how I see the grace of God at work in your life. Isn't this what we ought to do as we encourage one another and all the more as the day draws near? That we would boast now of what we will boast of then. That on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. And think about this. This is the Corinthian church we're talking about here. This is the church that as we think of within the New Testament, of all of the churches that seem to be the biggest mess of all, this is it. Of all the churches that seem to need the most work, of all of them, it seems like this one is it. And he says, listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, on the day of the Lord Jesus, we will boast of you. Amid all the need for revitalization, amid all the issues and concerns, we will boast of God's grace at work in you, shaming the wisdom of the wise. We will boast in the broad effects of the gospel that has taken life after life after life after life and transformed it completely. We will boast of the reconciling power of the gospel. We will boast of the ways in which God has used you in ways that only Christ has seen. We will boast of love on display, of love of the truth, of hope and peace and endurance, of freedom in Christ, of repentance and humility. Boast in lives transformed by grace so that we may rejoice now, knowing good and well that we will rejoice then. You know what would foster our rejoicing now all the more? Start boasting. Start boasting today. Get some reps in as the day draws near. But perhaps you're here this morning and yours is a life that's not lived by grace. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have not yet received Christ. You ought to see this is a merciful opportunity. A merciful opportunity for you to see your need. We have sinned against the righteous and the holy God. No matter what we can say about our good works, it can't undo the wrong that we know we've already done and our conscience testifies against us even right now. see your need and then as you look at the predicament and you look around you should also see the do that if God were merely just he would pour out his justice upon us and we would all be condemned it's a dreadful reality 
And as the light of the gospel starts to dawn and you see things for how they are and you can see how you've loved the darkness rather than the light because your deeds were evil and you see that and then you see in yourself your own inability because all you have to bring to your salvation is a bunch of filthy rags that are seemingly good works that are tainted by your pride and your arrogance and your self-serving nature and you realize what can I do? What can I bring here? What, What can I have that would help me in this moment? Look to Jesus, whose light pierces the darkness, who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Receive the free grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that he lived in perfect righteousness, died on the cross for your sin, rose from the dead, and that by, forgi- by trusting in him you have forgiveness and everlasting life. Won't you simply repent and believe that you may come away from today, not boasting in all this litany of other things, but boasting in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Come to Christ today. Go to him now even in prayer and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. However, the Holy Spirit convicts you and leads you to respond to him. May we all now look to his grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need your grace to do what we can't. We need you to open eyes and open hearts. We need you to draw people to yourself. We need you to bring conviction and clarity. We need the light of your holiness to dawn like the noonday sun in our lives that we would see the necessity of grace. And Father, that you would lift our tearful, sorrowful faces before you that we would rejoice and boast in the goodness of your grace to save us, to sustain us, and to give us reason for everlasting joy. God, in this moment now, for every single one of us, lift our eyes to see you in all of your grace, and that we would simply cry out in faith to receive what we do not deserve, but rejoice in what you have freely given. Your grace, through Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.